Welcome to the Counting Stats Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Landers, Director of MLB Content at DrRoto.com. Follow me on Twitter at Landers Talks and follow the podcast at Counting Stats Pod. Throughout the offseason, during the season, I'm going to be joined by fantasy baseball podcasters, writers, members of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association, personalities from Sirius XM, and maybe even some Hall of Famers. On this episode, joined by the man they call the legend, someone who I've worked with many times, who has taught me a thing or two about broadcasting. It's the one, it's the only, Mr. Lenny Melnick. Lenny, welcome to the show. Well, good to talk to you. Uh, uh, Good to talk to the man who saved me at a Pontiac dealership in California. You saved me from getting ripped off, so always good to see you. Yes, Lenny, definitely. I remember that very well, fondly, of course. (laughs) I'm glad you finally got that resolved. But uh, not here to talk about cars today. I think this would uh, be the wrong podcast for that. I don't really even know anything about cars. And I do want to talk to you about is relief pitcher closer draft strategy. Everyone needs saves, especially in those roto leagues and those draft and holds. So let's get cracking. First thing I want to ask you, and I think I know your answer, at least I knew your answer a year or two ago. Do you draft a closer early ever, or are you more of that wait and see, wait and grab guys late in the draft type of player? Well, it depends on what draft it is. I mean, there are people who think I've never drafted a closer. In the auction format, that reputation has gotten out so much that when I threw out Craig Kimbrell three years ago for a dollar, uh, nobody else bid, and Todd Zola stood up and said, we finally got Melnick to buy a closer. But uh, So let's break it down. In the uh, snake draft, uh, yes, I will draft a closer, but I will wait until the draft reaches a point where it doesn't appear that there's anybody special that can do something different than the rest of the unpicked players can do. I take a look at my stats. I take a look. I'm good in this. I'm good in that. And there's nobody that really jumps off the page, and that could be a little after the halfway point in the draft, depending upon how it goes. But I will wait as long as I can, and then, Lou, I will pounce in and perhaps draft three closers in a row because all I'm trying to do is get into the category. And if I have to wait that long, and if I have to draft Andrew Kittredge, or if I draft um, uh, Tyler Rogers or Camilo Doval, or I'll, I'll draft as many closers as I can after it appears that there's plenty of players left, nobody's special, that's when I'll do it in the snake draft, okay? Now, I have gotten controversy for, oh, Gosh, I would say over 20 years about the auction format. Auction format. Now, here's the controversy. And you tell me what you think. Uh, I believe that in order to be competitive in the auction format, you need to draft two closers. Is that correct? I would think so. But at the same time, it really, for me, snake auction it doesn't matter because I've always tried to wait and get the cheap guys in the auction, get the guys late in the snake drafts. 
and it's usually worked out well for me until very recently. The past couple years, I have found that because there's so much turnover, unless you are getting somebody that you feel has that job security, you end up blowing 50% or more of your fab. I mean, just last year, I think I spent 60 to 70% of my fab budget on guys like Lou Trevino, Cesar Valdez, Drew Steckenrider, Carlos Estevez, because I was so desperate because the guys I drafted, they either got hurt, they lost their jobs because they weren't secure. And then the worst part of that, not only are those guys not ideal, yeah, they'll get me some saves. They did here or there. I didn't have the fab to spend in other areas. And that, and here's the reason why. For 20 to 25 years, I've been preaching, do not spend money on closers in the auction draft. Again, do not spend money on closers. Now, after 20 to 25 years, it took that long for Major League Baseball and most of the fantasy industry to start saying, do not spend money on closers. And now it's the uh, that's the popular thing, 20 years after I mentioned it. And here's the key to that, Lou. The key to that is you must draft a closer if you're going to uh, wait until the season starts. You must draft that closer before he's announced as the closer. If you waited in Detroit until Gregorio Soto was named the closer, you probably paid an arm and a leg for him. But if you took him weeks before, when you're watching it closely, and you take him a week or two before he becomes the closer, you will spend hardly anything. And it also brings up another point. In football, we use the word handcuff a lot. Uh, In baseball, it's only recently that I believe it's smart, if you're not going to spend the money on the closer, to handcuff. You want Gregorio Soto, using him as an example, then maybe you should also draft Fulmer or whoever you think has a chance. You might be wrong, but you might be right. You want Jake McGee, you want... uh, who else do you want? Well, last year, last year, Lenny, the best example I can give you from my specific drafts would be Mark Melanson. Everyone had Emilio Pagan pegged as the closer for the That's Padres. exactly right. So you handcuff the guy you're going to take with the guy who you think might, you know, there's always speculation, and especially with some of these guys who are not the top closers. So you handcuff. That's a big deal now in baseball. You don't wait until the uh, player is announced, which means that if you're going to follow this strategy, it'll work for you. And I'll tell you why. There's another reason. But uh, you really have to work. It's more work. But if you call it work, you shouldn't be playing the game. To me, it's fun. Now, I asked you a question. You need two closers in the auction format to be in the middle of the pack. If you only spend uh, one uh, on a $13 guy, you're just throwing your money away. So if you get two closers, one for 12 and the other one for 13, you'll be very comfortable, perhaps, on you may lose one of those guys because they're 12 and $13, but you'll be spending $25 on two closers. Let me ask you this. Would you prefer to spend $25 on two closers, okay? One could be uh, David Bednar. The other one could be uh, Jake McGee, Scott Barlow, whoever you are. Two closers, 
or take that $25 and put $25 on a $1 pitcher, make him $26, and you wind up with a stud pitcher. Or put up a, a $26 that you spend it on closers on a $1 player, and bingo, there you go. You're going to be winning a lot of categories there. Which would you rather do? I mean, it d- depends on who's there and what players are there. But in theory, in theory, when I'm budgeting, when I'm budgeting for my auction, I would prefer to put it on the great starter or the hitter. Exactly. Yes. Come on, man. You know that. I know you know that. But that's what you do. So that's why. But it's. But as you mentioned, and you're right, it used to be fairly easy for me anyway to do that. Now. Man, you really gotta you gotta follow baseball like it, every single day, and the first sign that you think that a Kyle Finnegan's gonna become the closer, you better jump on him weeks before, and see what happens rather than wait until he becomes the closer. Absolutely, and the closers price of the guys with that job security higher than ever this season i'm seeing guys like hater and hendricks going to third round iglesias and uh class a going round four round five and it's not all that surprising i mean lucas and i actually did a lucas baseball episode last season kind of recapping the season suggesting the prices would be higher than ever i'm not going to take anyone in the first five rounds but i am certainly adjusting my strategy a little bit getting guys between rounds nine and eleven i've been looking at guys like blake trinan scott barlow gregory soto none of them are going early but they're also not considered the late options eight DPs around 180, 182, 203, respectively, on the NFBC format. Would you consider taking two or three of those guys in that 9 to 11 round range in a 15-team league, or are you still waiting? Oh, no. I'm, as I said, I'll, whatever round comes about that I feel that I'm secure and there's no player that really makes it there. You may need stolen bases. I'm just saying it as an example. But you discover that there's 15 stolen base guys left. So you can take a closer whenever that comes around. But I'm looking at the do- you know, look at the dollar values. Liam Hendricks is going to go for money. Even Josh Hader is going to go for money. I don't know about it. Everybody else seems to be in the 12, 13, 14, 15 dollar range. I can't think of another relief pitcher, a closer. Melanson could go for some money uh, because of uh, his success last year. But don't forget, he's going to be traded. Arizona just just, uh, resigned him, uh, and and the only purpose was to trade him. And when he gets traded, what is he going to be? Yeah, but he might get you 18 to 22 saves in the first three and a half months, assuming we start on that. Not on the Arizona team. I'm not too sure how that team's going to work out. But still. Well, even bad teams get saves. Yeah, they get saves. But when you're talking about a guy who could be traded, he could be traded from a bad team to a good team and then wind up as a setup guy. Oh, certainly. Once he leaves Arizona, could possibly not be a closer at all but in arizona there's no competition and he's going to get the opportunity so you're drafting no question about it no question yeah, about you're, you're it. drafting him for the right. security of those first three plus months that's absolutely correct and then again uh you know when you're looking at some of these closers 
Nobody really knows where uh, Kenley Jansen's going. Nobody knows uh, if Ian Kennedy's going to wind up as a closer somewhere. So, well, people uh, are drafting Craig Kimbrell, assuming he's going to be traded away from the White Sox. Say he doesn't. That's a wasted pick right there. Oh, he'll be traded. I mean, look, what do I know? I don't, I don't know anybody on the White Sox. Well, I, I think he'll be traded gonna... too, but let's just yeah. say he's, he's not because teams don't want to pay the price. Maybe the White Sox just love having that stellar back end of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's ways that it could end up that he doesn't get traded. You're taking Craig Kimbrell now at a pretty high price tag. Yep. It could be all for naught. Exactly. And don't forget, the most important pitcher, it used to be the closer, is the most important pitcher in the endgame. The closer is no longer that. Do you know uh, the title of the pitcher that's most important in the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth inning? Uh, I believe someone coined it as the effector, perhaps. The effector. That's the guy. Craig Kimbrell could be an effect, so you're right. You don't know where these guys are going. Uh, take a look at what the White Sox have done. They've accumulated so many terrific uh, um, uh, closers and effectors and relief guys. I mean, you got to go with Kendall Graveman, Aaron Bummer, Craig Kimbrell, they even have Garrett Crochet in there. Ronaldo Lopez is still there. So there's a lot of teams that have an abundance of middle-inning relief pitchers who could become the effector. So you can't, you never can count on a trade, never count on a trade, but uh, you have to just pay attention to the closers that are closers at the time. So let's move things along a little bit to the, let's call them the later round closers pick 215, pick 250 after that. There's guys like Dylan Floro, Andrew Kittredge, Lou Trevino, Diego Castillo, other names out there who I like as well, not necessarily listed as their team's closer at this time until I know more, not willing to invest a top 250 pick on them. But you look at a guy like Floro, he ended the season as the Marlins closer. He's been steady throughout his career. Kittredge, expected to be the lead guy in Tampa. The lead guy in Tampa may only get 20 opportunities, though, with their mixing and matching. Trevino, above average last season when Trevor Rosenthal got injured, should be a steady source of saves. But like Melanton, I could see Trevino being traded away from the A's, a rebuilding team. He might only be the guy for three months or so, so there's issues there. And then Diego Castillo. There's competition in Seattle. There's four or five guys, really, in Seattle who could be the closer. At least with Castillo, though, great ratio stabilizer, good strikeout rate, and could still get 7 to 10 saves. Do you like any of those guys late, and are there others you like late? Well, Trevino's very risky because who the hell knows what Oakland's doing? They're unloading everybody, so let's see what happens. They unloaded the manager, uh, so I don't know what their status is. But uh, some of the closers that I do like, that are not mentioned every day. Corey Knebel, who missed uh, several months of 2021, he had a lat injury, still had a pretty good uh, idea. But he's got, and I've watched him pitch, a filthy fastball-curveball combination. He's no luck to get the closer. He's 30 years old. But to me, he's the best man for the job in Philadelphia, no question about it. You mentioned Finnegan. Uh, he was solid in the closer role. But in his last 14 or so innings, he got clobbered, and that ended his year with a 3-5 ERA. But he's got 11 saves, 13 holds. I'll take him in a second. I mentioned David Bednar, 
who was really terrific. He's gaining some steam for sure. Oh, my goodness gracious. He posted a one-point-something ERA and a whip of under one, 30-something strikeouts and seven walks over 25 innings. Now, the St. Louis Cardinals have a very, you know, if you're not paying, if you're paying attention to football the last couple of months and you didn't see baseball, you might consider Alex Reyes and Jordan Hicks as potential closers. But the Cardinals have made it very clear. They are going to go all out to make these guys starters on St. Louis. Take a look at the Cardinals. They need an offensive threat. They need a home run hitter. But they also need a starting pitcher. Uh, I mean, the Cardinals could be a very good team. And they're counting on making both of those guys, or at least one. I mean, after Flaherty, Wainwright, Stephen Matz, who knows about Miles Miklas and Dakota Hudson and Jake Woodford? We don't know. So they're trying to make those. As a result, I would put a careful watch on Giovanni Gallegos, who I think has a real good chance. Um, he had he's, he's been successful for a couple of years. He got the opportunity towards the end of 2021. He racked up. Now, people don't get this. He had a league leading 12 saves between the end of August and the end of the season. So Gallegos could well, be Well, the Cardinals right. basically didn't lose during that time either. Yeah, uh, but right. to be to, but to be fair, yes, he was excellent and he's being drafted as such. Right now in your in your snake drafts, he's being taken as a guy that has a secure job, whether he does or doesn't. So people are mm-hmm. People have caught on, as they should. Of all the guys that you've mentioned, Nebel is definitely the most intriguing to me as well. Always had a great K per nine. He was excellent in Milwaukee until he got injured. Had a season where he did save 39 games. Um, Then he got injured. And, you know, that happens to pitchers a lot, especially guys that throw hard and have that fastball-curveball combination. But a really terrific bounce-back season a year ago when he was healthy with the Dodgers. And what have the Phillies struggled with over the past few seasons, Lenny? And maybe even since Billy Wagner, it's having uh, a closer. It's closing out games. It's the end game. And that has been a huge issue for them. Senior. (laughs) I believe. Yeah, yeah. It it's been it's been a huge, huge problem for the Philadelphia Phillies, and uh, you know it's one of those situations where this might be the guy. This might be the answer. Now in San Francisco, I had both of these guys last year in Town Wars. I had Jake McGee and Tyler Rogers, and I had to keep them both in my lineup because you never knew which one was going to get the save. And they didn't do poorly. They did okay. Uh, Jose Alvarez is still there. But the guy that I'm watching there who had, who was, I don't know if people realize how good, Camilo Duval. He finished the regular season. He had, if, you, if you're looking, 17 straight appearances without allowing an earned run. He struck out close to 30 batters in 17 innings. So he will be a very interesting uh, closer option in 2022. You know, we can't watch every player in the spring. There's just too many players. But I always make a list of the players that I have to look for every day. 
and one of them is Camilo Doval. If he happens to continue what he finished last year, he's going to be the closer in San Francisco. Certainly the main closer in San Francisco. I'm looking at him first with Jake McGee as a second option, a guy that maybe could get you, you know, six, seven saves, whereas Duvall might be the main guy. Um, if I had to bet money on it, Duvall would be that guy for sure. One of the hardest things to do, I think, is kind of project players who aren't going to start the season as their team's closer, might not even start the season on the roster, but could eventually take over due to injury and effectiveness or a trade. Is there one, two, three guys who you want to use kind of at the end of your draft, maybe pick up on waivers, guys who are going late or may not even be drafted who could take over the closer role eventually down the line? Well, one of the popular players is Garrett Whitlock, who with the Red Sox got from the Yankees. We have no idea who's going to be the closer there at this point. Speculation is the Red Sox are going to go out there and get somebody. Same thing with um, uh, uh, who's the other guy? Kennedy. Uh, right now he's a free agent. You got to see where he's going to wind up. You got um, uh, James Karinchak. Now, I know Cleveland is not going to put him in at the closer spot, but this guy, could he could get some saves. Uh, I, I project he'll get about 80 strikeouts in 60 innings. Uh, he could get the job if Class A fails. Alex Colomay is still a free agent. you got to watch out where he's going to wind up. Uh, and in Chicago, the Chicago Cubs. Now, what do you think, Lou? Do you think the Cubs are going to be a respectable team this year? I think they can maybe win about 72 games, if you want to call that respectable. Tell me if you agree with my thinking. I think they're going to be a respectable team. I think they're going to get Trevor Story or a big kind of free agent. I think they're going to build a good team, and here's my reason. They're one of the teams in the uh, – what's the what's the name of that uh, game that they play with all the grass and the corn uh, – you know, out there in Iowa, the Field of Dreams game. If they they were picked for the Field of Dreams game, I don't think the people that picked them th- thought they would be a terrible team to play in that game. They got two guys, Cody Hura and Rowan Wick. Uh, right now, I think it's 50-50 as to who's going to be the closer there. Well, so it looks be- like it's going to be Wick, but I'm more of a Cody Hoyer guy myself i think they why they got him in that trade with the white Sox at the deadline um i think they got him as thinking this is our future guy this is going to be our closer uh so i'm going to take hoyer and i'm going to take him later than wicket's going yep okay so those are some of the guys that could come up and spark and then of course uh i don't think anybody knows who the closer is in baltimore but it is called seltzer that's for sure i predict He'll get between 16 and 20 saves, but he just doesn't, uh, he hasn't exactly lit it up. He'll get a strikeout an inning, but uh, yeah, there are so many other candidates there. And uh, that's pretty much, and of course in Detroit, very few people of confidence in Soto. There's a lot of people who think that uh, Fulmer is going to wind up as the closer. Remember they experimented with him there. So who knows about that? Uh, they also have, let's see, Michael Fulmer. They've got Jose Cisnero, who is very well liked there, I have learned. 
So let's see where Fulmer could be traded. There are many teams that would like to see him as a starter. Uh, the other thing about um, Detroit is that Soto is really their only lefty. So uh, I'm not sure if he's going to stay. Usually when you have a left-handed closer, um, you want to make sure that the team has another lefty in the bullpen to face somebody in the, in the seventh inning. Bases loaded, a lefty's up. They got one guy, Miguel uh, Del Pozo. I'm pretty sure he's a lefty. But other than he's not very strong. So that's the only reason, I think, that uh, Detroit may give Jose Cisnero uh, a big look. Yeah, he could certainly get some opportunities. I do know that A.J. Hinch has named Soto as the guy, but that could change yes. very quickly, very quickly. So there's two guys who I've been looking at, um, more so in the 15-team leagues, any 10 or 12 team league that people might be playing in they're not even going to have to go deep like this but in those 15 team leagues the very competitive leagues there's guys i'm looking at with my late late picks who are not on the closer radar at the moment for their teams but i think could get those spots at some point the first guy is jorge alcala of the twins being taken around 478 overall on nfbc Rodgers is expected to begin the year as the closer. Multiple reasons why he won't end in that spot. One of the reasons is something you just touched on. He's a lefty. He's going to be deployed in multiple scenarios. Also a top-notch trade candidate for a rebuilding Twins team. Alcala likely to get a chance to take over at some point. But the biggest one, and one I wrote up actually in my draft guide article for this team, San Diego Padres, is Denelson Lamette. Innings pitched in the big leagues, his top, top, in 2017 and it was only 114 innings he's not really meant to be a starter next best innings total for him is just 73 in a season has an electric arm though misses a ton of bats career 11.7 k per nine all that success came as a starter lenny he's going to be working out of the bullpen this season velocity should go up that could lead to even a better stellar uh, K per nine, the ability to stay on the field could also improve, which has been a problem for him because he would have a lesser workload. I look at him. I look at his stuff. I look at the peripherals. I think prototypical closer. And the Padres don't really have an established closer on their roster. Lamette, to me, good a chance as any to get opportunities. And if he gets them, he can succeed, run away with that job. Well, the whole thing with Lamette is his health. He had a lot of problems with it. I remember about... Four years ago, my phone rang at 11 o'clock at night, and it was Craig Mish, who I was doing a show with at the time, and he just called me up and he said two things. He said, draft? Okay. Who? To Nelson Lamette. And I did. I didn't even know who he was. Okay? But um, you're right. He's uh, He finished. He had a... He didn't have a good year. He had a four-something ERA. Uh, he had a one-five whip. He did strike out a lot. He did strike out 57 in 47 innings, and um, most of his appearance came out of the bullpen. He's got a chance to be back in the rotation. I really believe that, and they'll see how it works out. But he does, but there's the there's competition for that fifth spot. Oh, yes. Paddock, Gore, yes, Weathers, I mean, any of those three guys get it. And yeah. I look at Lamette. You're right. The biggest thing for me is the injuries, the health. Right. How else? How better to keep him healthy than limiting his workload by putting him in the bullpen? Well, you think that limits his workload, but a guy like Demet, I know one of the things that uh, he had a problem with was having to get up on consecutive days. 
and uh, that kind of thing as a starter, the four days rest, even though, uh, you know, if you want to save an arm, you think that the bullpen saves arms. And I don't think it does because when you're a closer and you have to get up, up and down, and then every day after day, there are plenty of pitchers that just can't do it. Uh, that is true, but it also comes down to preparation and training. And when absolutely. you're someone that's been a starter for that long, you're used to a different type of training and a different type of preparation. Mm-hmm. He needs to be groomed to be an arm in the bullpen, prepared yes. differently, maybe not throw as much. Um, he might not need as much warm-up. To me, a guy that like him for 60, 65 innings is going to be a lot more valuable to you in the bullpen than a guy that is going to throw 100 to 110 innings as a starter and might miss a number of starts because of injuries. Right. And also the other thing is that you got this stupid lockout thing, which I have a strong opinion on. But uh, the point is, is that you can't, you know, spring training, the players want spring training to be shorter. They want it three or four weeks instead of six and seven weeks. So, uh, but I'll take the position that this is going to hurt a guy like Denelson Lamette, because as you say, he has to be brought along slowly. And with uh, one or two weeks less of spring training, he may get a slow start uh, as a, in, in the bullpen. And whoever gets a quick start in there may take the job. Anyway, you're right about Lamette. He is one of the candidates. And about the other guy, Ocala, uh, I think he got one save last year. But he had a whip of under one. He, he's really, I predict that he'll get you 10 to 15 saves. So that's a great call on your part. Uh, he'll have, uh, you know, about a 3-7 ERA, a 1-1 whip, and he'll get you a strike out an inning or more. So that's a guy, and you're head on with that, that um, he'll get an opportunity to close. Yeah, and for him, the reasons beyond the fact that Rodgers is a lefty, I mentioned the trades. I mean, the Twins are not going to be competing this year. I would be very surprised. Uh, And Rodgers is going to be probably a very strong candidate, someone that a lot of people are going to be going after as a back-end left-handed piece for a playoff run. So even if Rodgers is getting some saves and they're splitting time 50-50, 60-40, Rodgers is going to go at some point, and that could give Alcala the... 100% or the 90% of the save opportunities. Uh, Mm -hmm. But one more thing before we wrap this up, and it's very important because we've seen it around the league. It's growing and growing committees, save committees, closer committees. Teams like Tampa and Seattle certainly top that list. They appear to be the closer by committee this season. How do you decide on which of these players in the committee you would take versus not take? Well, it's the lefty-righty thing. That's the first look. Lefty comes up. The lefty comes out of the bullpen. You just have to look at the history of the team. Uh, even last year is a good history and how they play it. But for the most part, the players that you're going to be draft will ha- with drafting will have a history of being a closer. Now, as we started off, you got to pay attention to the other guys. And if you're saying that, I wonder how Michael Fulmer's going to do, Jose Cisnero going to do, or in Kansas City, Josh Thalmout, how is he going to do? You got to watch these guys because the moment that Scott Barlow falters, and that can be one start, 
and Josh Stalman is pitching good, you put a dollar down on Josh Stalman and just tuck him away because that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. You got to get these guys a little early. You mentioned the Minnesota. I like that guy you mentioned. I don't even remember his name. Jorge oh, Alcala, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like him a lot. And there's a lot of pitchers that, uh, look, Emmanuel Classe, as soon as he falters, Karinczak is the guy you got to look at. Watch the closers and the secondary closers as much as you ever have. It could loot. It could win you a league. Because if you're not spending money on closers, you throw it in other places, and then you grab these guys as they come up, you got to pay attention. That's for sure. Absolutely. So let me throw a couple things at you. Firstly, I think we can both agree if we're waiting around for saves, we're going to end up selecting guys who are in committees, whether we intended to or not. The players are going to fall on drafts, uncertainty that surrounds their roles, pretty much make that happen. So what I try and focus on for me is, of course, have they been a closer before that's something that you mentioned but also look at their salary how much money do they make and do they strike out a lot of hitters do they prevent base runners there's all sorts of things to kind of take a look at there because you think closer you don't want guys who walk too many hitters you want guys who can miss bats have they closed before and is someone making you know 12 million versus um 900,000 because if there's a guy making 900,000 dollars a season and he ends up being the closer he's going to get a lot of money once he gets to arbitration and teams think about those sorts of things so all of those things have to be taken into consideration if you can find someone in a committee that checks off two of those boxes whether it be the K's and the success closing before whether it be the salary in the success the salary case whatever it might be those are the types of guys i'm looking at yes but you know something even though everything you mentioned is a factor i don't i think what you're looking at starting in spring training going into the first couple of weeks of the season if paul seawald is pitching lights out he could be a closer if uh, ian kennedy is pitching lights out it's how you start the season. They'll take who's ever hot with some kind of closer experience uh, and, put, and put them in. I know Anthony Bass is still out there in Miami. He could take the job. If Floro falters right off the bat and Anthony Bass is coming in striking out players, I don't care what his history is, how much money he makes, there's going to be a change and that's going to be the guy. Same thing even in New York. They're raving about Jonathan Loisega uh, as, as a closer. Watch him. I know Diego Seguiz the closer in, in Seattle, but that could be taken with a couple of bad games and a couple of good games. Well, Ken Giles is just sitting around there. I mean, at yeah, some well, point, he's probably yeah. going to be a guy, too. Right, probably, but we don't know. And you say sitting around. Can I just give you my – can I tell everybody who's listening – What's going to happen with Major League Baseball? Because everybody's freaking out. I'm not. Are you? Not yet. I might when the calendar turns to March, though. I think the dumbest thing that baseball did. Now, don't forget, they had a 15-minute meeting the other day. And everybody's going, oh, only 15 minutes? Nobody cares. If you ever went, I mean, I know you bought a car, you bought a house, whatever. 
You don't sit and negotiate for five hours. Um, you, you come in, you make your play, you leave, you come back. 15 minutes was all it took yesterday just to put things on the table. I really believe, Lou, that both the players and the owners know exactly how it's going to end. They know exactly where it's going to end. They know what they're going to give. They know what they're going to take. But they can't be stupid enough to hold the season back in this in this world of COVID. They'll lose fans. The dumbest thing they did was not was announced 15 minutes because people thought that they don't care. 15 minutes was exactly what was scheduled and people are looking at it as they don't care. No, it, this is how you negotiate. You bring it right down to the wire. It's going to happen. Nobody yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. To me, it all comes down to the finances. No one's going to want to lose all that money. Um, the players, the owners, etc. I heard Ryan Spilsberg talk on his show on MLB, and he said something fascinating. The owners have money. They must have a lot of money invested in the market. The players who have money have a lot invested in the market. Every day, all they see is how much money they lost. It's time to start making money. Well said. And Lenny, thank you for joining me here. Do you have any final thoughts on relievers in general? Of course, let everyone know where to find you on Twitter, when they can listen to you on SiriusXM, etc. That's right, at Lenny Milnick on Twitter and at SiriusXM, the lady in the legend. Uh, we're back on Sundays from 7 to 9, and as soon as this lockout ends, we'll have two shows, maybe three. Maybe I'll take over the whole station. I don't even know. And, of course, Lou, for you, don't forget the podcast every morning. We miss you. Lou is a, a starter of the podcast. Come on, we miss you in the chat room. It's a great chat room. Every morning at 9 o'clock from 9 to 10, we have 30, 40 people every day. It's the greatest. It's You know what it is? It's not even about the knowledge of baseball. It's about the escape from reality. For one hour, all you're caring about is Kendall Graveman. Okay? So there you go. Yeah, Lenny Melnick, FantasySports.com, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Monday through Friday. Go check that out. Spent a lot of time in there over the years. This has been the Counting Stats podcast brought to you by DrRoto.com. Go check out the DrRoto.com fantasy a baseball a draft guide. Dominate your competition. Get ahead of everyone. Great writers, great podcast, and part of that, you can go find it on the site. Again, DrRoto.com. Fantasy a baseball a draft guide. I'm Lou Landers. Again, Counting Stats Podcast. We'll catch you next time.